and welcome to Series 4 of the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast. It's now two years since the first ever podcast went out and we've covered many issues, interviewed patients, families, nurses, surgeons, oncologists, researchers, dietitians, charity workers and fundraisers, all sharing their experiences, knowledge and wisdom. This series opens with special episodes for Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. This year we are focusing on palliative and end-of-life care, which holds some special challenges given the current survival rates for the disease. We have a lineup of wonderful people for the months to come. We are pleased that this year the podcast will be in support of all four pancreatic cancer charities, Pancreatic Cancer UK, Pancreatic Cancer Action, Pancreatic Cancer Research Fund and the Elizabeth Coatman Fund. If you listen to the podcast, please subscribe, share and help others understand more about this disease, its impact, the current survival rates and the hope for change in the future. The Purple Rainbow podcast is made in memory of Seth Goodburn and it's a part of Seth's legacy. Welcome to Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast. This episode, we are talking about Homeward Bound. Homeward Bound is the play which is all about Seth's story. So at the beginning of all of these episodes of Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast, you hear Leslie introduce them and she talks about her and her husband, Seth, and what happened to them. Well, Homeward Bound is a play based on Seth and Leslie's story. I will let Leslie explain more about what it's about. But joining us in this conversation is Steph Smart, who is a lecturer in drama and performance at Inverness College UHI. That's the University of the Highlands and Islands. Leslie Mickle, who is the programme leader for drama, and also Siobhan Nalon, who works at Highland Hospice. Now, these three have been involved in putting on Homeward Bound and the work that they've all done together, Leslie's been involved in as well. So we thought it'd be a nice way to get everybody to chat about Homeward Bound and the impact it has had across the country and across the world. So Seth died in 2014, 33 days after his diagnosis. I worked in the NHS at the time, so understood what it was like in terms of what the NHS wanted for person and family centred care. I found Seth and I thrust into a world of palliative and end-of-life care that didn't really resemble the, that, that rhetoric that, that I, I spoke every day and that was part of the work that I did. Um, Seth had sort of asked me to make sure that I did something to share um, awareness of the signs and symptoms of pancreatic cancer and I promised him that I would but kind of as I sat beside Seth and he he kind of was in the dying phase it was sort of reflecting that actually end-of-life care wasn't the way that I thought it should have been based on that rhetoric Um, and just thinking about the fact that we got the diagnosis no one really supported us there was no psychological support And I suppose sitting by the bedside, those three things were forefront of my mind. 
Um, six months after Seth died, I got his medical records, sat down and wrote down what happened on each of the 33 days, but also found myself writing to, to explain what it felt like to be me or Seth on some of those days, particularly poignant days where things happened. And I found myself writing letters to um, sort of anonymous healthcare professionals that explained that, what, what that felt like. What I ended up with was a chronology of 33 days, a pile of 17 letters in an envelope, in envelopes. Um, the idea was that healthcare professionals, the commissioners and the providers locally could sit down, read the journey, open the letters and understand what it felt like and what happened with the idea that we would improve things. Eight months after sharing that, no one came back to me, nothing changed. And in the meantime, I worked with the National Council for Palliative Care um, and Pancreatic Cancer UK to kind of take that chronology and those letters and work with a playwright to develop what was then called Homeward Bound, which was a play version of what happened to us through those 33 days. What was it like taking those letters and making them into into a play? What sort of experience was that for you, Leslie? It was really difficult because Seth was quite a private person and I wanted to kind of fulfil his wish and, and the things that I thought was, were important, but didn't want to overstep the boundaries of Seth's privacy, he, even though he was not here, he was dead. So it felt really important that whoever I worked with would respect that, would work with me through that. Um, was really keen on things like when they were doing publicity and posters that they would only use one photograph of Seth and I, and it would be the wedding photograph. They wanted other photographs. Um, there were only two photographs, one of Seth and one of, one of us together that I would use and I've consistently used because I didn't I didn't want people to intrude into that space, although I wanted to share the story. Um, so it was incredib incredibly difficult in a way to, to do that and had many tortured nights thinking, am I doing the right thing? Aren't I doing the right thing? Is this right? Um, but it was really important that it would sit with Seth's values and and kind of what I would know would be his wishes. And when you saw it performed for the first time, what was that like? It was incredibly emotional. It was at a conference up in Kiel, at Kiel University for the National Council for Palliative Care. I just wanted to kind of shrink away and not have people look at me. I didn't want people to. So it was important that I sat on the front row, that people couldn't see me. Um, I kind of introduced it and, and had this little speech that I gave. There were a whole bunch of friends and work colleagues who came along to support me, and that was really, really important. Um, there were many elements of the play that took the words that I'd written in the letters and directly used them in the script of the play. So it was very much, it was familiar. Um, and it really, it just took me back to Seth's bedside those days in the hospital where people really weren't listening, weren't understanding. And it made me very proud to have done it, but it also made me even more angry than it did before because I was reliving everything that had happened. Now, it's not just you in the in this interview, is it, Leslie? We've got some other people who've who've joined us for this chat. People who have picked up on Homeward Bound and developed it and have used it themselves. So, first of all, uh, I'll come to to Steph if that's okay. Listening to Leslie explain about her experiences 
and what you know about uh, Homeward Bound and Seth's story. What was it like for you when you first came across the play? Originally, um, it was in conversation with sort of Siobhan um, and, and Leslie Mickle and Leslie Goodburn that I came across the, the piece. And reading it the first time, I knew that A, it was something special, but B, that so much care had to be taken with it because it was so honest, so heartfelt and so personal. Um, so I knew that that was going to be the biggest challenge was to to consider how to tell this story and take care while telling it. Um, so the way that we incorporated the the project into the work that we were doing at the university was in our third year um, BA drama and performance they have an applied drama module where we look at drama and how it can be used with um, and in conjunction with other contexts so looking at drama and healthcare and so we thought that this was the perfect opportunity to create a real live project um, but yeah that first read through was yeah, it was harrowing, I have to say. Um, and, and you know, even having seen the performance, having worked through it with numerous different casts now, it still has that same power behind it as the first time I read it. Siobhan, I can see you furiously nodding away, in a good way. Uh, what, what are your thoughts then with what, what Seth said? Yeah, so I, I think we were really fortunate. I think um, because of our unique geography up here and the fact that maybe something like Seth's story um, doesn't always come our way very, you know, very frequently, there was, there was a chance to be opportunistic about it. From, from my point of view, when I had uh, seen Leslie um, present about it, um, at a conference, I thought as an educator, uh, because that's clinical education is, is my field, that this was absolutely the most wonderful way to explain to healthcare professionals how catastrophic um, miscommunication can be and the impact and the ongoing impact of, of not considering the person at the end of the desired communication. So how I initially, when I had um, heard Leslie speak, I had spoken to one of our consultants about it and said, oh, could we put this on ourselves? You know, us in our little bubble in the hospice, could we get a couple of us to be able to deliver this session? And he was a bit, mm, I don't think so. I think this needs to be done, you know, more tastefully. And I can't, I, I mean, I can't stress enough just how um, important the leadership from, from Steph and Leslie Mickle about you know, being uh, empathetic towards the story, they that obviously fed through to the to the uni students because they weren't taking this on as just a, a project. They were taking it on as um, telling the story with compassion and meaning. Um, and for the performances that they delivered to healthcare professionals at our conference, that came across, and that was the feedback that was coming across. So, I think um, it's been unbelievably powerful. Um, as, as a, a means to educate uh, healthcare professionals and not just healthcare professionals. I know there was an intent to have it for all levels, but I mean, really, they are the maybe the instigators of, of some of the issues um, throughout the story. So, And uh, Leslie, 
you, you've been brought into the conversation now. So uh, your thoughts as well, please, would be lovely. Um, yeah, I mean, from, from my, my point of view, thinking about, you know, I'm thinking about learning and teaching for students. That, that's kind of my, I suppose, my focus. And I just thought this was a really golden opportunity because I think it's so important that students should understand that what they do has a relevance and a connection with the real world outside of the studio theatre, outside of the institution. Otherwise, they are in a little bubble. You know, Siobhan was just talking about a little bubble. And, and I'm really keen that we should actually get them to look out, look up and out and consider the social impact of theatre and performance. And, uh, and it has been incredibly effective. In fact, some of those students who were originally involved have carried on that interest and have continued to work uh, in theatre and in sort of um, uh, in different relating to different healthcare issues. And that's that's actually become a really sort of developed um, thread in what they're doing. So it's had enormous benefit, I think, just in terms of learning and teaching for, uh, in relation to drama from our point of view, because it, it's make it, helping us make that claim drama has a place in the world, drama has social impact, it has real value. So for me, that's incredibly important. But I think on a more personal basis, it, it's actually been very moving, you know, watching students engage with, let's face it, a really difficult topic, a really sensitive topic, in a very in very mature and thoughtful ways and um i think it's been a fantastic opportunity for them and it's been brilliant for our program as a whole really i'm asking this of all of you what has surprised you the most about about the project and, and when you've been working on it well i i think what surprised me is we talk about bubbles um and how insular hospice and palliative care work can be you know we we think we hold the 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 goblet of knowledge and there was no way that this could have been so successful in its portrayal if we hadn't worked closely with the university and it was what was the most powerful and was the fact that actually we can't interpret this story this is going to be interpreted way more tactfully and tastefully by people who are either studying or in in the arts you know um so I think that was kind of the biggest surprise and pleasant surprise about the whole thing um yeah that we don't own like you know there's a little bit of a territorial thing in healthcare and sometimes we kind of figure we um know best there's paternalism about it and all it did was highlight that we we don't really know anything (laughs) that the experts in the portrayal were the drama students and Steph and Leslie because of how they could lead on it so I think for me the thing that still surprises me is how much I am still affected by this piece of theatre at this point in the process um and every time I like I'm part of it, whether I was in rehearsals or whether it's seeing a performance that has been worked on, it it still brings me to tears every time. And I'm not someone who often cries at theatre, but there is, there's something about this piece that just gets me every time. And I think it's the honesty and just that sense of loss and love that's in the play that, yeah, just... Oh, gets me. No, I, 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 can I jump in and echo that? Because 
know, I sometimes will wander in to the performing arts studio when assessments are taking place, you know, and cast my eagle eye around and see who's doing what and, you know, take notes. And I'm sitting there sniffing very loudly, thinking this is not actually, you know, because I didn't really, I kind of walked into it kind of mid, we did it as an assessment as well. Those of the students did that. And um, it is, it's incredibly moving. And do you know what it is? I think it's that sense of the play captures that sense of, no, that everyday, the everyday activity, the everyday exchanges between a couple who are really, really close, you know, and, and that's, it's that sort of everyday life, you know, doing the routine day-to-day -day things that actually makes these bonds so, so tight, you know, and, um, and I think that establishing that then um, kind of emphasised, foregrounded that loss at the end of it. But yes, no, it absolutely echoes Steph's comments about it's just, it's a really moving piece. I remember being at school and having drama groups, theatre groups coming in for the whole theatre and education thing. And I'll be honest, I thought it was only ever going to be in schools that drama and theatre would be used as education. I'm fascinated to hear how drama is used for education in other settings as well. I think it's like what you, what you said, Siobhan, isn't it? It's that whole, we can learn stuff, but or you can see it in real life and get it brought into you and, and bursting those bubbles. Something like this, a project like this, in a year like 2020, when the arts has, well, like so many people, like so many sectors, but the arts in particular feels like it's really been sort of squashed from a great height. That's me being polite. How important is it that these projects are out there and that can show people the importance of the, of the arts and that the arts isn't just going to the theatre and, you know, spending lots of money on something really posh or opera or something, you know, you know, you know the, the, the stereotypical the arts, and I say it with quote marks. I feel very strongly about this. <laughs> um, yes, I absolutely believe 110% that just because... Um, everything seems to be against the arts right now, it doesn't mean that the arts will crumble. Um, the arts have shown time and time again that during times of crisis, they pull people together um, and give people an output, um, a way to express, a way to find some common ground that makes them feel just a little bit better. Um, and I think actually, when you think about the bigger picture of the pandemic, that the arts has become more important than ever. You know, I mean, how many of us can put our hand up and say that we didn't read a book, that we didn't watch the telly, that we didn't watch Netflix, you know, we didn't do a dance class. Like all of these things are part of the arts. Um, and so on that level, absolutely, I think it's important. But from a kind of social perspective, you know, we've been telling stories as human beings. We've been telling stories since, you know, caveman times <laughs> through through pictograms. And, and we pass on knowledge. We pass on experience through stories. Um, and you just have to look at digital theatre and what kind of has happened between March and now as to how many different stories have come out about experience, both positive and negative experience. And so... Yeah, I think it's more important than ever that stories that can be told not only to, to share about experience, but to be able to learn from and grow from are so, so vital to where we are at the moment. Um, so, yes, that's my piece. <laughs> yeah. And, and 
Sorry, I keep jumping in, but I was going to say that from all of this and, and Leslie and Siobhan, you really have started something, you know, within drama at the University of the Highlands and Islands, because um, since all of this kicked off, Steph's been working with medical students on de-rolling, you know, medicals. So thinking about how do you de-stress at the end of the day? So if putting on your role is your professional role, you know, I am a doctor uh, or whatever, then how do you actually step out of that at the end of the day? So so that that is ongoing work and really important work, I think, as well. And um, I think I think the connection between the arts and kind of clinical practice is, is the potential of that is huge. It's absolutely massive. Um, and uh, I think it's quite exciting to be exploring that. And I'm a great fan of interdisciplinary practice, whatever. You know, I think the most fruitful insights come from diverse people coming together and sharing very different perspectives and, you know, life experiences and things like that. So I think this kind of collision, if you can call it that, a happy collision between, you know, between uh, Siobhan and her specialism and Leslie's story and, and ourselves has been, has, has actually just been incredibly productive. Yeah, I was just going to say the surprise for me was the kind of initial contact that came through Siobhan that actually Seth's story had reached um, reached someone who wanted to do something with it outside of the play and outside of the film that had been produced subsequent to the play. Um, so that was immensely touching and it was wonderful to think that actually you know, young drama students were going to get the opportunity to deal with something, to interpret something that was really quite a difficult subject. And it must have been really difficult for them and for you guys supporting them to do that, because I can imagine, I can't imagine being sort of 18, 19 years old and, and dealing with something that was a, as heavy as Seth's story. Um, and, and I suppose the other thing that came out of it was that there were often contacts from others um, and there were two lovely ladies from Alaska, from a, a small town in Alaska, who at a similar sort of time had got in touch and asked if their local drama group could do a performance of Homeward Bound, as the play is called. Um, and just to think that these two ladies who were doing this work around conversations around death and dying had somewhere along the way stumbled upon you know my Seth's story my Seth's experience it was just immensely touching and we you know we did a little bit of work with them we we talked about doing some research work that didn't quite work out because at the time we wanted to do it the pandemic had come along and the ladies in Alaska were very much involved in supporting their community around that but what kind of came out of that was the opportunity to, to broaden the thinking around, you know, I worked in the NHS. I struggled to get my voice heard in when, when you know, before Seth was diagnosed. I'm a reasonably articulate, assertive person who wouldn't take no for an answer. Seth was diagnosed. I was the wife of someone who was dying. I was desperately trying to advocate for him. It felt like the system wasn't listening. No one was responding. It felt like a really lonely place to be. And I continued to advocate, but I couldn't be as assertive because of the situation I found myself in. Um, and part of wanting to share the story was the thought of all those people who, not that I'm anything special, Seth was special to me, but we weren't anything special. 
but all those people who didn't know the system, who didn't know the way that it should have, should be, didn't know that the care that they were getting wasn't the way it should have been, didn't know that they could ask for help or support or challenge. It felt like it needed to be the voice in some ways of those people who don't get the opportunity. So kind of moving forward, the thought of being able to work with a really enthusiastic group of people who love what they do and have passion for it, um, and thinking about the research that potentially, you know, we're going to do around the voice of lived experience in palliative and end-of-life care. How do we take people's stories, allow them to be their story and for them to own them and for it not to be manipulated, for the person who owns the story to have the voice and be the editor of that story and not hand it over to someone else? And I, I kind of struggled through the process, through the play, through the film, through the work that I've subsequently done to, to keep my connection with Seth authentic and true and to not do things that would kind of sully Seth's memory, to be very precious and guarded about it. And my passion is to be able to support people who've had similar experiences, who want to share, who perhaps don't know how to and just probably need a great deal of support and a great deal of advice and direction around how to keep hold of that story so I'm so enthused by the thought of you know Siobhan's thought of doing the play and, and what snowballed from that to becoming something that actually could be the voice of other people who've experienced that and recently I'd signed up for um, a grief webinar at 12 o'clock on a Friday night that was in the States and I sat there and I just thought oh I can't be bothered with this it's too late I, it was a good idea but actually I can't be bothered but eventually I sort of thought no I'll I've signed up I'll go on to it it turned out to be um two plays being done in the states um online through zoom and actually one was about um one was about purchasing a gravestone as a valentine's present and the other one was about hospice care in the U in the US and two sisters experience of it. The second play was really, really moving and touching. I contacted the lady who'd written the play. We had a Zoom call a few weeks later. Um, and it turned out that this lady had been thinking of writing the play, had started to do that. But somewhere along the way had found Seth's story. And when it first came out, it was on a DVD with a resource pack. She sent off the DVD, she got the DVD and that spurred her on to finish the story and to start working with American healthcare providers to share the plays that she's writing in collaboration with others in the US. Um, and to think that I did that because I, you know, I shared the story because I felt like Seth didn't have justice, we had to have a voice. And to think all those things have come from, from wanting to do that. Now, Elizabeth, um, from Grief Dialogues is part of the group who want to do the research and want to support the use of creative arts in telling the stories around end of life and palliative care. So that's the biggest surprise to me. And it's just so, so powerful that, you know, how far it's come along, the snowball effect, the international effect that it has had, your story has had. It's It's huge. And again, I just think it's so important that, you know, we, nobody stops giving putting their message out because you don't know what 
the next step is. You don't know what the next stage is. You don't know who's going to hear it and what they're going, going to do with it. I think that's really, really powerful. Thank you, Leslie. I remember having a conversation with you, Leslie, around how, you know, before I'd made contact or before the hospice had made contact, you were kind of feeling that this had gone out in the ether and nobody was taking it on. Um, and I suppose one one thing I've taken from that is that thing, processes are very slow. And we know that in, within the NHS, processes are very, very slow, but maybe in the wider world, they're slow as well. But it doesn't deplete the meaning of the message you're putting across. Um, and even though Seth's story is about um, pancreatic cancer, and that was really the, the driving factor, and we still know that there's... Um, there hasn't been a, an, enough of an improvement even f- for my liking um, regarding discussions on pancreatic cancer diagnoses and following up care. I think with the COVID pandemic as uh, this kind of hot potato, um, there, there's certain messages in um, this drama that um, can be related to how we communicate as healthcare professionals around um, COVID, um, around the absolute fear the broad fear um, that everybody has around death and dying um but the need for healthcare professionals to be professionals about it that you know if there is a knowledge on their basis that something isn't quite right with this person that they're having a discussion that they're including them in in the conversations they're including the family in the conversations um i i listened to um a palliative care consultant from italy from lombardi speaking about um speaking about how it palliative care failed in um Italy the palliative care ethos failed um all the people and all of the families um who suffered with covid back in march and february and his take was that we went into a panic and an overdrive and a crisis point when we forgot that actually the core was the core of our care is to provide holistic um care to think of every element of that person <clears throat> who's dying um, and he felt that we hadn't learned our lessons and I'm always on the education point and that the homeward bound the set story is very much you know poignant with regards to all of those um, even the COVID uh, deaths and people dying from COVID or even dying not from COVID but in this time there's still a, a huge need to be to keep in communication at the forefront of our thinking reflections I've had the kind of pandemic um, having been locked away during the the sort of 33 days that's the anniversary of Seth's death from um, May the 13th to June the 14th this year being at home being in the home I used to share with Seth he's not here it's the most you know earth-shattering frightening time and Seth said the one person you'd want to be with is Seth but actually Seth's not here um and I remember doing some webinars and talking on presentations around sort of always saying it was 33 short and heartbreaking days from Seth's diagnosis to his death. But on those webinars, I kind of reflected that actually, I never, ever thought I would say this, but actually we had the luxury of 33 days. I had the luxury of being next to Seth's bed when he was dying. I was there with him when he died. I was able to plan the funeral that he wanted with him. We were able to have a celebration of life. 
And I never in my lifetime thought I would change the paradigm from 33 short and heartbreaking days to thinking that was a luxury. But actually, that was a luxury and a privilege given the pandemic. I'd say that there's turning points for everybody um, in their perspective of things. I I mean, I, I don't think anybody could ever have said to Leslie before that you had a luxury um, and even still, it's not, it, you know, it was, it is on reflection now, Leslie, I know what you mean. <clears throat> um, but there was some, some part of the humanity of, uh, you know, of communities, of healthcare professionals, of life, where you just thought, why would you not be able to see your loved one at end of life? Why would you not be able to take the risk yourself as an autonomous adult and think, oh, well, I want to see my father, mother, brother, sister, husband, wife. I want to see them. That's my choice. And um, it's it's just a little, I mean, I'm always really passionate about um, how intrusive um, healthcare professionals can be into relationships such as Leslie and Seth's that, you know, we somehow felt that we had the right to withhold information or that we had the right to, um, determine if he could go home or not and you know all those things really enraged me when I was reading the story because I thought well who the hell are we anyway who do we think we are and with the pandemic it's been the same thing it's been that real frustration that we are not you know healthcare professionals we work really hard but we are not the be-all end-all decision makers that these are real people in bed with real families and real love in their lives and I know the NHS staff have been striving to to fill the gaps, but you can never fill the gap of um, not having your loved one sitting by your bed. And it's just being mindful of that. It's not to be down on the NHS or any healthcare professional, but it's just going forward because we're not finished with our pandemic uh, situation and, and coronavirus, COVID isn't gone anywhere, to, to actually change your perspective there a little bit. Um, and to stop looking at it as though they're infected people. <laughs> because at home in Ireland, we have a huge um, ritual around um, somebody who's dying and um, we celebrate their life after they've died. And that's been taken away from, from communities at home and they've tried to replace it somehow or other. But initially with the, the pandemic, when people were being buried um, in the way they were, the body, the body of a person was being removed uh, as though they were a highly infectious agent, really, really bothered me. And I, and I suppose I, I'm just going to stop now, but just say that we have to really be careful that um, we're not doing that again um, in the following few months. And if Seth's story is a way to communicate the importance of it, I think it can be used um, continuously, if whether that's over Zoom or, or even in small little groups. Hope you found that really interesting. It's just, I struggle to get my head around how far this has gone and how important it is to make sure that we do tell our stories. Everything has an effect as a cause and effect. And I also thought it was very interesting what Leslie said about how at the time, the, those 33 short days, and now in the context of 2020, those 33 short days feel like a luxury. Lots to think about 
in this episode. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast, you can do so via the website. The website is purplerainbow.co.uk.